Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If we'd open up our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter. That's where my Bible is opened up. There will be lots of Bible today. And so let's all help ourselves by cranking in the Word of God together. Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, is where we'll begin momentarily. As you are turning to Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, let me just quickly echo the welcome from earlier. It is great to have this good number in attendance that we have gathered here today, and it is just a joy, as always, to be a part of this assembly as we worship God in spirit and in truth. I've been encouraged already by worshiping with you this morning. Looking forward to doing that again this evening at 6 o'clock, particularly because tonight is Q&A night. Go ahead and give you a quick screener about that one. Tonight's question, it's a single question. It's a prickly question, but in some ways it's kind of a timely question. And so we'll tackle that this evening. Hope you have plans to be back then. Right now, though... It's Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter. As Moses is outlining for the people of Israel the various blessings that obeying God will bring to their lives, and now here in particular, the curses that will come upon them if they disobey God, we read there in Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning in verse 45, Moses says, All of these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes that He commanded you, they shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything, He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until He has destroyed you. Let me just start this morning by asking you, are you happy to be a Christian? That's probably not a question that gets asked nearly enough. Are you happy to be a Christian? By that same token, is God happy that you're a Christian? In fact, let me break that down even a whole nother layer. Is God happy? Stop and think about that and kind of break that down. Is God happy? We certainly understand that God is not happy with all of the sin that is going on in our world. That's kind of a no-brainer. And we know as well that the Bible has plenty to say about the wrath and the anger of God being poured out on sinners and sinful people. And we know as well that one of the most oft-repeated expressions in all of the Old Testament is the phrase, the anger of the Lord, found some 35 times. Put all those ideas together, and I wonder if maybe our general conception of God is, well, no, God's, God's not very happy. Maybe there's a verse or two in the Bible that says something about God being joyful, but on the whole... You ask, is God happy? Well, it just kind of seems like God, kind of seems like God's kind of grumpy most of the time. And you know that old expression about if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? I think that's kind of, we apply that to God. If God ain't happy, well, well then none of us, we, none of us need to be happy either. The Puritans taught us long ago that levity and laughter, oh, those things are for fools. Christianity is no place for happiness and for joy. It's eyes locked forward, grim expressions only, no smiles please. And unfortunately that spirit of the Puritans continues to live on even today. 
Because all too often our personal walk with the Lord lacks joy and happiness and cheer. We have convinced ourselves, I think we've bought into the lie, that God is mostly just a big old grump. And so if God is a grump, well then what's the big deal if we are a grump from time to time? Well, would you look at our text in Deuteronomy 28 again? Focus in particular there on verse 47, where God says to His people, He says, you're going to be punished. And why? Because you didn't serve the Lord with joyfulness and with gladness in your hearts. God says it's not enough just to do what He says. God says you have to do what He says with a joyful spirit. In fact, what we're seeing here in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, is really the Old Testament equivalent of that New Testament command to rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 God's people from the beginning even until now have always been called by Him to a life of joyful service. And there is a reason for that. And the reason for that is, is because joy flows from the very character of God and in who He is. Our God is not a grump. Our God is a God of cheerfulness and joy. And so it is only natural then that He would expect His children to be people of cheerfulness and joy. Which is why this morning, I want us to think for just a few minutes about joyful Christianity. Joyful Christianity. Now, we pay lip service to that idea. We do it quite often in our songs. We just sang a song. Sing on, ye joyful pilgrims. But did we really mean it when we were singing that? Did we really mean that we were joyful pilgrims? Or did we really maybe kind of mean in the back of our minds, sing on ye joyless pilgrims, because this church stuff, this following God, this religion stuff, ah, it just makes us miserable most of the time. Or we sing that song with the kids, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And you know what? That's exactly where it is. It's way down in our heart. And we want to keep it down there. We don't want to let it to come up. I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask you how much do you think about joy in your walk with God? How much do you think about the important role that joy is to play in your life as a Christian and how it even shapes your very perception of the Lord? Let's get our Bibles fired up this morning because I want to begin this morning by just giving you really kind of just a small sampling, not a huge sampling, but a small sampling of just the astonishing amount that the Bible has to say about joy and about rejoicing. In your Bible, there are more than 190 verses that speak of joy. There are another 225 plus verses that speak about rejoicing. You add into that another couple dozen passages or so that talk about happiness and cheer and gladness. And I want to work some of that for a minute or two this morning. If you're still in Deuteronomy, let's just go back to chapter 16. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, the Lord says some things here about joy, specifically joy in worship. In Deuteronomy 16 and in verse 15, there Moses says to the people, Deuteronomy 16, 15, talking about the feast that they were to observe, he says, For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose. 
Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. Joyful as you worship the Lord. Stay here in Deuteronomy and look in chapter 27. In Deuteronomy 27, this theme of joyful worship continues on as Moses gives some instructions about sacrifices. In Deuteronomy 27 and in verse number 7, Deuteronomy 27, 7, you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Look in 1 Kings 8 now. Let's fast forward a bit through the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 8, we see once again this worship that was characterized in Old Testament times. It was to be characterized by joy. And actually not just while you're worshiping, but even when you leave worship, you're going to continue to be joyful. In 1 Kings chapter 8, this is actually the conclusion of a great worship period. This dedication ceremony of the temple that had just been constructed. There's been this amazing prayer that Solomon has offered. There's been these thousands upon thousands of sacrifices that were offered. The fire of God comes down from the sky. We then read in verse 66 that on the eighth day, He sent the people away and they blessed the king and they went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all of the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. Let me ask you, when you go home this afternoon, will you be blessing the Lord with joy and gladness of heart what we had done here this morning? I'll tell you this, if you worship correctly... You ought to leave here today feeling and doing that very same thing. Look at the book of Ezra now in Ezra chapter 6. In Ezra chapter 6, this is, we're fast forwarding way far into Old Testament history now, because this is now the second time that the temple is being built and being dedicated. And look at the response of God's people here. In Ezra chapter 6, look in verse 16. So everybody looking up there waiting patiently. When's the verse going to get put up there? Ezra 6 verse 16, the people of Israel... And the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles, they celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. Think about that. The idea here of a worship service of joy. I wonder if we were to make an announcement that, you know what, this Wednesday night, in lieu of our regular Bible classes and Bible studies, what we're going to do is we're just going to have a service of joy. I wonder how many people here would think, boy, are we going liberal? What in the world is going on? I think that would be the immediate reaction of a lot of people here. But not in Ezra's day. Not in Solomon's day. Not in Moses' day. In fact, the book of Psalms just ring with joy. Look in Psalm 4. I've only picked a couple of the Psalms. In Psalm chapter 4, there the psalmist says, as he's talking to the Lord, expressing what's on his heart, and he talks to God. In Psalm chapter 4, look in verse number 7. In Psalm 4 and verse 7, the psalmist says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. You, God, you did that. You put this joy in my heart and in my life. How about in Psalm 16? In Psalm 16, what I deem to be really just one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Psalms. In Psalm 16, look in verse number 11. Psalm 16, verse 11, again, talking to God, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
fullness of joy coming from just being in the very presence of God. One more verse in the wisdom literature, this time in Proverbs 12. In Proverbs 12, the wise man here speaks about the kinds of things that make for joy. In Proverbs chapter 12, God is certainly the giver of joy. We'll say more about that in just a second. But talk about the kinds of things that we can do that make for joy in our lives. In Proverbs 12, look in verse 20. The wise man says here, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace, they have joy. You're a peace-loving person? You're going to be a joyful person, the wise man says. Now, we've looked at a bunch of Old Testament passages here, and if you're thinking to yourself, well, Josh, all that, all that joy stuff, that, that really was just kind of contained to the Old Testament. They were just kind of wild and free with all of their emotions and letting their joy out. You'd really be mistaken about that. Joy is not something that's just limited to the Old Testament. Let's run a little bit in the New Testament. Look in Luke chapter 2. Look at how the gospel begins, the New Testament story. It begins with an announcement of joy. In Luke chapter 2, the angel appears to the shepherds, and he announces to the shepherds, Luke 2 and verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And you know who and what that's talking about, don't you? That's talking about Jesus. And of course, it is Jesus who says so much about joy and rejoicing in following after Him. It is Jesus, for example, who tells us that Christianity really, in its essence, it really is all about finding joy. Look in Matthew 25, please. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells here the parable of the talents. What happens to the people in this story who do what's right and they are accepted by the Lord? In Matthew 25, look in verse 21. Matthew 25, verse 21, The Master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Master. The joy of your Master. You want to see that lived out? How about in the book of Acts? In Acts 13, here we find that joy The joy of the Master, that was one of the defining characteristics of Christians who lived in the first century. In Acts 13, look at the very end of the chapter, verse 52. In Acts 13 and in verse 52, the disciples were told they were filled with joy. Filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Being completely just full of joy from top to bottom. Which brings us then to a very familiar passage in the New Testament... And that's in Galatians chapter 5. Would you look in Galatians chapter 5? This is, of course, the fruit of the Spirit. What exactly makes up the fruit of the Spirit? What are the components of the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5 tells us in verse 22, Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Number two on the list, love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, etc., etc. Let me ask you, where is Oscar the Grouch in Galatians 5? Oscar the Grouch ain't in Galatians 5. Actually, hold on. Oscar the Grouch probably is in Galatians 5. He'd be in verses 19, 20, and 21 talking about the works of the flesh. Anger, enmity, strife. That's Oscar the Grouch. But joy, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we're going to have whenever we are walking by the Spirit. One more New Testament passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, look in verse 17. 
In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, Paul writes there, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, notice this, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Think about that. That God is the very author and the very provider of joy. He provides us with all things to enjoy. Now, let me tie all of these passages together with a couple of closing passages from the book of Ecclesiastes. Would you go back to the Old Testament again? Look at Ecclesiastes 2 verse 26. Because here the wise man says something once again about this idea of where joy comes from. That it does emanate from God Himself. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I'm reading here in verse 26. In Ecclesiastes 2 verse 26. For to the one who pleases Him, God has given. What has God given? He has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. God gives joy. Now, if you're inclined to say, after we've read all of these other verses, if you're inclined to say, okay, okay, we can rejoice in the Lord, but Josh, that's talking about, you know, church stuff. That's all talking about religious kinds of stuff. Rejoicing as we sing and praise God. Rejoicing in our worship unto God. You know, Josh, that's not really talking about joy in everyday life. Well, you'd be wrong about that. Stay here in Ecclesiastes, look in chapter 3. In chapter 3, look in verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 22, I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. Rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Think about that, the idea of rejoicing in your work, in your job, in your occupation. Whoa, we can have joy even as we labor with our hands. What about in chapter 5? In chapter 5, Solomon says in verse 18, Ecclesiastes 5.18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in all of the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his law. How about that? We can take joy just in our day-to-day living. That just as we go about our daily affairs, we can find joy in that. One more here in Ecclesiastes. Look in chapter 11. In chapter 11, look in verse 8. In Ecclesiastes 11, verse 8, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Are you old? Rejoice, the Bible says. Are you a young person? Look at verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. You see, there is rejoicing to be found at every stage of life and in every corner of life. And I hope you understand that this right here, this is just the very tip of the iceberg. But what I do hope is I hope that reading these handful of verses, what it has done is it has made at least two truths abundantly clear to all of us. And I want us to grab a hold of these two Fundamental truths and don't let go of these things. First and foremost, do you see from the Scriptures that God is a God of joy and happiness? Our God is not some angry, miserly, sour grump. You know, archaeologists have dug up images of Baal 
various kinds of things that were etched into stone and other kinds of images of Baal. And that, of course, was probably the most famous of all the idol gods that was worshipped so often in Old Testament history. And in those images, you do a Google search this afternoon, in those images of Baal, you will find that Baal is an angry God. He's always got a scowl on his face. He's got a thunderbolt in his hand to kill people and to strike people down. But our God, our God is a God of joy. He is the God who blesses us and who gives us cheer. Look in Luke 15, please. In Luke 15, I wonder how in the world, in some people's minds, God has come to be the angry grump next door When in Luke 15, Jesus tells us three consecutive parables about lost and found. And when that which is lost and found, look at the response of the Lord. Look at the response in heaven. In Luke 15, look in verse 5. In Luke 15, verse 5, talking about the man who lost a sheep, verse 5 says that when he has found the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says to them, rejoice with me. For I found my sheep that was lost. Verse 7 now. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Joy in heaven. I want to say emphatically, God is not a grump. And we need to think, first of all, better of the Lord. And then secondly, we need to understand that the God that serve is a God that is characterized by joy and happiness and cheer. Now I know sometimes the reason we're a little bit hesitant about that, the reason we're a little bit reluctant to just say, oh yeah, God is happy, is because we don't want to make it come off sounding like God is somehow soft on sin. Or that God is not going to punish sin. Of course, neither of those things is true. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Let's just put this, make sure we get this. In Ephesians 5, the Bible is clear as to what God is going to do with disobedient, sinful people. In Ephesians chapter 5, look in verse number 6. In Ephesians 5 and in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God, it comes upon the sons of disobedience. Mark it down. God takes no pleasure in unrighteousness. Sin absolutely displeases Him. Jesus is referred to in Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows. And I think one of the reasons Jesus is called a man of sorrows is because our sin, it grieves the Lord. Now let me ask you this. If my sin makes God unhappy, doesn't that give a little bit of insight as to what would make me unhappy? The world says just the opposite of what God says. The world says sin, sin's what's going to make you happy. Sin is where you're going to find real joy. Sin is where you're going to get real enjoyment and make you really happy in your life. No. The Lord, just by His very attitude towards sin, the Lord says, no, sin is going to kill you. And sin is going to kill your joy. And so while it is true that sin does make God unhappy, can I ask you this? Is that the dominant picture of God in the Bible? When you think about the Lord as He's depicted in Scripture, is that the first thought you think of? Is a big, mean, angry, wrathful, vengeful God? I would hope not. 
Because over and over again, the Bible tells us about how happy God is. How happy God is with His creation. How happy He is with His people whenever we love Him and serve Him and are devoted to Him. And so as a result of that, God then created us with the ability to enjoy and to laugh and to have gladness and to have cheer. I want to say again, that certainly does not give us a license to sin. You know, hey, God made us with the ability to enjoy stuff. So I'm going to get out here and enjoy all kinds of stuff. No. God is not interested in pushing us toward false joy, the passing pleasures of sin. Absolutely not. And I will say to you this morning that the very same God who gave us that beautiful snowfall this past week, the very same God who created us all with the capacity to smile, the same God who gave us cats, And dogs who often do very silly things and make us laugh. The very same God who gave us little kids who say things that make us laugh and tickle us. Our God gave us all of those things in order to bring joy into our lives. As we often sing in that old hymn, As the Deer, there's a line in that song that says, You, you God, you alone are the real joy giver the apple of my eye. God gives joy because He is full of joy. He is the source of all that is good, all that is right, all that is happy making, which means truth number two, God wants you to be happy. Now, I'm, just to make sure nobody like falls out of their seat, the preacher, did he just get up and say, God wants you to be happy? In fact, isn't Josh usually the guy who gets up and preaches against that idea about God wanting you to be happy? Well, let me be clear about this. I'm not using the God wants you to be happy line this morning as so many people today use it as kind of an excuse for sin. You know, I'm just kind of tired of my wife and I'm not happy there and so I'm going to put her away and just be done with her and I'm going to go find me another wife over here because God wants me to be happy. No, no, a thousand times no. That is not the kind of God wants me to be happy that I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about this morning is that whenever we are serving the Lord, whenever our heart is right with Him, whenever we want to do what's right and we are trying to do what's right, when we are walking with God in obedience in His life, then let me ask you, what does God want for you? He wants you to be happy while you do that. He wants you to be joyful. Remember, joy is commanded. It is expected. In fact, maybe that's the way I ought to put that up there. God expects His people to be happy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Philippians 4 verse 4. That is a part of who and what we are. It pleases Him for us to be pleased with Him. Can you go back to that verse that we looked at a minute ago in 1 Timothy 6? In 1 Timothy 6, look again at the end of that verse there. It talks about God. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17. Focus on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You know what that verse is saying? God blesses us. And if that's not enough, God then gives us even more blessings. And He does that so that our lives are full and that they are rich. And dare I say it, so that our lives are enjoyable. That is true certainly of our physical blessings, but it is especially true of the spiritual blessings that He wants us to enjoy in Christ Jesus. 
Do you know what will happen if we don't believe that? If we don't believe that second truth, do you know what's going to happen? If we don't believe that Christians can and should be happy, then either A, we're going to start pursuing after sinful pleasures and sinful enjoyment, or B, we're going to end up feeling guilty whenever we are happy. Wow, think about that. Boy, that's, that's really great, isn't it? We've got happy pagans over here and sad Christians over here. Something about that just doesn't really add up. Something about that says to me, that's not what God wants. And it's not. That's not what God wants. God wants people who are aware of His blessings. And as a result, we then joyfully follow after Him. He wants people who will be reflections of the joy that He embodies. We then reflect that in our daily lives as we live for Him. So somebody maybe then asks after thinking about all that, well, what can I do to improve in that? Thinking about myself now. I'm not sure that really I'm as joyful of a pilgrim as we sang about in that song a second ago. What can I do to improve the, the joy quotient in my life? How can I help raise that joy quotient just a little bit? Let me suggest to you just a couple of quick ideas here before we close. Just some kind of some do's and some don'ts for more joyful Christianity. At the very top of that list, I want to tell you this. I want to tell you to don't be a Haman. You know where you're going to find out about Haman? That would be in the book of Esther. Would you find Esther chapter 5? In Esther chapter 5, I was reminded of this last Sunday morning when uh, Kyle Blevins was, was kind of getting to the closing thoughts of his lesson and he brought some things up from Esther and I kind of got to read a little bit more in Esther and that, this dawned on me in Esther chapter 5. Esther, of course, tells the story about Esther, who is the queen, and about Mordecai, who is her uncle, and then about this bad man by the name of Haman, this evil man who hatches this plot to just exterminate all of the Jews. And when we get to Esther chapter 5, it would seem, if you're Haman, it would seem like you've just got everything that you could ever want. I mean, all the chips are just falling your way. He just, I mean, now, now Haman doesn't know exactly how things are going to turn out here in just a moment. But at this point in time, Haman, he's been invited to this exclusive banquet with the king and the queen. And in fact, by the end of chapter 5, he's going to get invited to another exclusive banquet with the king and with the queen. He is the number two man in all of the kingdom at that time. Haman really has the world by the tail here. Here's a guy who really ought to be just super happy because of all the things that he's got. And so it's no wonder then that we read in verse 9, in Esther chapter 5, verse 9, that Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. Hey, I would be too if I had all of that stuff that that guy did. But, verse 9 goes on, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that Mordecai neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Start down to verse 11. Haman then, he ends up going to the king and even in his own mind, he recounts to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions that the king had honored him with, how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Here's all, there's this big long list of all these things that I've, that I've had and I'm recounting all those things. Verse 12 talks about the invitation from the queen. Verse 13 now. Haman then says, yet all of this, all of this is worth nothing to me. So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Can I summarize all that? Do you see what happened there with Haman? 
Here's a guy who was full of joy one day. But then he let one thing ruin all of his happiness. That ever happened to you? So happy, just bebopping through life, feeling so joyful for the Lord. Then just one little thing comes along. Just messes everything up. Can I ask you, Christian? If you're going to heaven, what exactly in this world could ruin all of your happiness and all of your joy? What, what in this world could possibly do that? What one thing, or maybe even what accumulation of things, could be so awful and so terrible that it would cause you to lose that joy, the joy of knowing that you're going to heaven? Would you find Romans chapter 5, please? Look in the New Testament, because Paul challenges us in Romans 5 that if we know the end of our story, and I'd like to think that we do, I'd like to think that we are confident of where we're going when this life is over, Paul says there that if we do know the end of our story, then we can then put up with any kind of inconveniences. We can be joyful despite any kind of difficulty. Romans chapter 5 and in verse 11, he says more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In fact, in the verse previous, he connects the idea of reconciliation with being saved, going to heaven. Now, are there some minor annoyances that we have to put up with in life that sometimes tend to kind of chip away at our joy? Sure. Sitting out here in traffic on 27 during like the afternoon rush hour. That's a joy robber. Having a weak cell phone signal when you're trying to look something up or trying to call somebody, that can be a joy killer. Watching Kentucky play basketball the last couple of games, that's been a real joy killer for me. There are those kinds of things in life. But those kinds of things are nothing more than minor annoyances against the backdrop of heaven and an eternity with God. On the other hand, are there some major annoyances in life? Yeah, there are some big annoyances in life. Cancer. Getting laid off from your job. Having problems in your family. Those are big things. But I'm going to tell you that none of those things, as bad as they are, none of those things can steal from us the joy in our hearts, placed there by God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can steal that away unless we allow it to be stolen away. And since I said something here about the idea of the challenges and the adversities that we face in life, I want to suggest to you, secondly, that that means that we're not going to be fake or artificial. We're not going to be people that go around just having to always, you know, paint on a smile in order to keep up the appearance of, okay, look, I'm joyful. God wants me to be joyful. So, <laughs> look, I'm being joyful now. The Bible says in John 11, verse 35, that Jesus wept. There's a time for sorrow. The Bible also tells us in Mark chapter 3 and verse 5 that Jesus got angry. That tells me that there's also a time for some righteous anger. And so there will be times when it is right and it is proper for us to be sad, for us to be sorrowful, for us to be angry or to be upset. But overwhelmingly in our lives, what we are looking for, and in fact what we should expect, is to try and find the positives in life. To be able to focus on those things, find those reasons that God gives us for rejoicing. And so if the circumstance calls for rejoicing, then let's rejoice. 
And you know what? If the circumstance calls for weeping, let's not pretend otherwise. Let's weep. Let's be real. Let's be genuine. Let's not pretend to be something that we are not. In fact, instead of putting on some kind of a big show for everyone, some show of fake joy and fake cheer, what we probably ought to be doing is we probably ought to be doing some praying. I think it's proper that we would pray to God for joy. That we would talk to God and we would say, Lord, I know that you have blessed me with so much. Help me to recognize that. Help me to enjoy what you have given me with. Help me to find the true joy in serving and following after you and in all of the other blessings that you have given me in life. Help me to recognize all of the many reasons why I should be cheerful. James 1 verse 17 says that every good and every perfect gift is from above. God is blessing us. And He is blessing us each day with more and more and more. Let's pray that He would help us with clear eyes to see all of those blessings so that we can be more joyful. And then finally, I think we would do well to just keep before us regularly those things that the Bible has to say about joy. There are literally, if you did the math a minute ago with all those numbers I gave on the screen, there are literally hundreds of passages in the Bible that either command or illustrate or give even a living, breathing example and say something about joy in the Scriptures. We've only read like a couple dozen of those passages today. What we need to do is we need to read those passages. We need to review those passages. And we need to reflect on just this big mountain of stuff that God has given us in His Word. And then we need to shape by what the Word of God has to say about joy. I'm afraid that if we don't put those words before us on a constant, regular basis, then we can end up forgetting. We can forget how important it is to serve the Lord with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, as God told the Israelites so long ago. One fellow wrote and put it this way. He said, Christian joy, it comes from contentment. Joy is born on the wings of a prayer of gratitude. Joy expresses itself in a smile, in a kind word, in being helpful. Joy is built on grace, forgiveness, and hope. Joy is the attitude that the world longs for, but they can never have as long as they are in the bondage of the evil one. And I thought about that, especially that last little statement there. The idea that we, as the people of God, we have something that they don't have. And dare I say, we have something that they really wish they did. It is a gift that has been offered to all. Anyone can have it. But only a few will actually choose to accept it. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'll put it on the screen here and close with this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verses 8 and 9, and I noticed on one of the songs we sang earlier, this was the verse citation before the song. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and you rejoice. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Want to go to heaven? Then you'll have to be happy. You'll have to be cheerful. You'll have to be joyful. And in Christ Jesus, I want you to know, we have all of the reasons 
that we could ever want or need in the world to be filled with that kind of joy and rejoicing that comes from being saved. Who here this morning has yet to obtain that marvelous joy that can only come from being in Christ? You may think about in your life, well, there's been times, boy, I was pretty joyful, I was pretty happy and pretty excited. I'll tell you, nothing in your life, I don't care what you've done that might be so thrilling and so joyful and make you so happy, nothing compares to the idea of being in Christ Jesus, being in a relationship with the Lord, being saved. There's nothing like it in the world. I cannot describe to you really in words the joy that comes from knowing that your sins have all been washed away in the waters of baptism. I wish that I could articulate for you the joy that comes from knowing that Christ's blood has cleansed you from all impurity and from every single iniquity that you have ever committed in your life. I wish I could explain to you the joy of being adopted into the family of God. Going from being a lost individual to now being a saved individual. I wish I could somehow explain to you the idea and the joy of being made something entirely new. A Christian child of God. Maybe what I need to do is instead of standing up here and trying to put into words that joy and how great all of that is, Maybe what we need to do is I need to stop talking and we need to sing that song and you just come forward and you experience it for yourself. You grab hold of that joy by responding in obedience to the gospel call of Jesus. Are you ready to do that? Why don't you do that right now while we stand and while we sing?